documented story of a missionary, evangelist, pastor named George Mueller, who ministered in the mid to late 1800s in Bristol, England. He uh, was burdened for a lot of the orphaned kids in England, and so he began to uh, basically assemble orphanages for children. And this one particular orphanage had 300 kids living in it. Can you imagine that? (laughs) That'd be a hoot, wouldn't it? 300 kids. And uh, the kids were getting dressed and ready for school, and the housemaid who was overseeing that house uh, was frantic, and she ran to Mr. Mueller, who happened to be residing in this particular orphanage, and, and she said to him, the children are dressed and ready for school, but we have nothing to feed them. There was nothing in the cupboards. And so he said, well, have the children sit down at the tables, and let's pray. So George Mueller prays for their breakfast that is not in front of them. And after he's done praying, thanking God for his provision of breakfast, there's a knock at the door. The local baker at the door, and he said, I could not sleep last night. The Lord had so impressed upon me to make bread for your kids that I'm here today to deliver the loaves. And uh, so he brings in enough loaves for 300 kids in this orphanage. And as they were assembling uh, the kids together and giving them bread, there's another knock at the door. And there's a man standing at the door uh, who is a, a milk delivery man from the area. And his wagon had broken down outside their orphanage, and the the wheel of the wagon had broken off entirely, and he said, by the time they repair my wagon to leave, this milk will be no good. And so he brings in cans and cans of milk, asking if perhaps the orphanage could use it. And so that morning, the children learned a very powerful lesson about God's provision, and they had breakfast with bread and milk. That's just one story of Many stories throughout George Mueller's ministry, as he had the, 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 the privilege of ministering to over 10,000 orphan children throughout as many orphanages in Bristol, England. And here's the thing about how he ran his ministry. He never asked anybody for a dime. He never had a fundraising event. He never asked for uh, uh, offerings to be given for the orphanage. The Lord always provided exactly what was needed when it was needed. He was a man who was known as a man of great faith in the God who was his provider, and he never allowed his lack to limit his Lord. And today, as we look at the gospel of Mark chapter 6, And as we take a look at this great miracle where he feeds this multitude, I want us as well to catch a vision like I hope that Peter and those gathered around Jesus' disciples caught that day, and they got a a vision for their provision. And I hope that this morning you too will get a vision for your provision. Who is it that is your provider? Is it you? Is it your income? Is it your parents? Who is our provider? That's the question I want us to drill down on today because many of us may give a head nod toward God as our provider, but we actually live very differently than that. So today's key idea, as we look at today's passage, here's kind of the the foundation truth that we're going to find in this passage, and it's this, that I will not allow my lack to limit my Lord. 
When you look at your life, all of us have taken inventory and we have felt like we've never had enough of something. Maybe it was finances, maybe it was time, maybe it was uh, enough uh, you know, bandwidth in your relationship, or maybe you felt like you didn't have enough boldness to talk to somebody about Jesus, or maybe you didn't feel like you had enough skill or ability to serve in some form of ministry within the church or this community. And we've all had those moments where we looked within our resources and said, I don't, I don't think I've got enough. Let's be the kind of people that we're going to see today in Mark that never allows their lack to limit their Lord. So it begins in Mark chapter 6. Verse 30, with the returning of the apostles, you might recall that earlier in chapter 6, Jesus had been in Nazareth where he was rejected once again by his hometown, and uh, he sends his disciples out in pairs to go and preach the gospel. And so they go and they do that, and they return to Jesus with great news, report of what they had done. In fact, their ministry, by the way, was so successful that what they were doing reached the palace of Herod, who was king over that region. And he had heard about Jesus and thought perhaps that maybe he was John the Baptist resurrected. And so we see this story about how Herod um, ended up having John beheaded. And we see all that happening in Mark 6. But the disciples, very great ministry efforts as they traveled, returned to Jesus. In verse 30, we see that report. They gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Verse 31, then because so many people were coming and going that they didn't even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. How many just think we could just camp right there on that passage? (laughs) Maybe that's where you're at today is, oh boy, I need to come away to a quiet place, and I need to have some rest. The disciples had really been firing on all cylinders in their ministry, and yeah, they were excited, but at the same time, they were kind of depleted. They were tired, they were hungry, and when they came back to Capernaum, which was kind of the headquarters of Jesus and where he ministered, when they came back to report, people were everywhere, because remember, crowds always followed Jesus, and people were coming and going and always needy, coming to Jesus for a healing or, or to be set free from demons, and there was a constant cycle of flow of people around Jesus. So the disciples come back to this busyness, and Jesus looks at the disciples and, and sees this ministry taking toll on them. And what I love about this is while Jesus' ministry, yes, was very full of activity. I mean, he had three and a half years to cram in the ministry he did as, as the Son of God in his public ministry. And so it was full of activity, but he also knew the times he needed to pull away for prayer and for rest. And how many know sometimes we got to learn that same thing? We can drive ourselves crazy with busyness. We've got to pull back and find some rest. And Jesus is okay with doing that. Now, As the story turns out, uh, they didn't get their rest and relaxation they were hoping for um, because we look on in in the passage and we see in verse 32, so they went away by themselves and abode and to a solitary place. Sounded really hopeful. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Word about Jesus always went in front of him, and so he was trying to get away with his disciples in a boat to a solitary place, probably something the disciples had discovered in their days of fishing. They probably knew exactly the place in the lake where they could go, and it'd be a bit desolate, and nobody would be there. But they didn't really travel very far from the shore in their boat. Remember, the Sea of Galilee wasn't like a ginormous sea. It was more like a a large lake, all right? And so as they're sailing along the shore, people see them. 
And they're like, well, I think that's Jesus. And the disciples, hurry, let's go. And they beat him on foot around the lake and beat Jesus to where they were going. And so there's always this relentless pursuit of people coming after Jesus. It kind of reminds me of that scene in this great movie called What About Bob? <laughs> Maybe you've seen that movie. We got this psychologist with this popular book, Baby Steps or whatever it's called. Um, and uh, he's got this patient, this client of his, Bob, who's very needy. Um, and the psychologist is going on vacation with his family, and he, Bob's not sure what to do with himself. He just doesn't think he, doesn't think he can make it. So he ends up hijacking their vacation. Funny story all the way through, but there's this one part of that that there's actually kind of a meme for out there in, in, in Google where you just see Bob going, what, I need, I need, I need. And it's just, that's what these people were like around Jesus. It's like they were relentless. And so they arrive, and the crowds are already there. Look at verse 34. When Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd, and he had compassion on them. Now, if I was the disciples, I would be pretty angry right about now. It's like, can't they cut us a break? I mean, we just ministered to them in Capernaum, and we're tired, Jesus. Can't we just keep going? Let's get back in the boat and maybe find someplace else. But Jesus had compassion. Why? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd, it says in verse 34. So he began teaching them many things. The disciples were irritated that their rest and relaxation was interrupted by these people who were so insensitive to the needs of Jesus and the disciples. But Jesus doesn't roll that way. He's not irritated by the crowds. He looks at them and he has this reserve of compassion that wells up within him. And here's the thing we can learn about this for ourselves as well, that the compassion of Christ never takes a break. You know, there's a thing that we experience in the caregiving world called compassion fatigue. And maybe you've experienced that before. When you're being asked so much of you and, and eventually you become tired because there's, the, there's a real thing that, that, that's diagnosed basically as compassion fatigue where it's just like, I have nothing more to give you. Aren't you glad that Jesus never had compassion fatigue? I mean, yeah, he was man. He wrestled with the weaknesses of man. But look at what the Bible talks about Jesus, about the Lord and lamentations in the Old Testament. Verse 3, or chapter 3, verse 22. Because of the Lord's great love, we're not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Yeah, you know, that just kind of reminds me that as people of Christ, we should always be ready to be compassionate. I know that's hard because we, we just are sick of helping people, and there doesn't seem to be a change. But Jesus, the shepherd, saw people, and he saw their need, and compassion welled up. He saw them as a sheep without a shepherd. This is a very strong term used in the Old Testament frequently to describe Israel when they were under leadership from an ungodly leader. It was like they were wandering aimlessly. They had nobody to lead them, and there was a void of leadership. And Jesus sees that even today because here are these people hungry for an authentic touch of God that the religions weren't offering them, that the Jewish religious leaders were not able to give them. And they saw Jesus as the one who was able to do that, and he saw their hunger and their need, not just physically, but he saw their hunger spiritually. And we see some strong parallels between this account now in Mark 6, and the Old Testament accounts of Moses. See, Moses was a shepherd. Maybe you recall that. He was a shepherd, and he shepherded in the back 
hills of the country. And while he was tending sheep, God appeared to Moses, right? And he called Moses to stop being a shepherd of sheep to go now shepherd the people Israel. And so he goes in and he sets the people free from their captivity in Egypt. And he leads them as a shepherd through the wilderness. And we see that's spoken of in Isaiah 63, 11. Then his people recalled the days of old, the days of Moses and his people. Where is he who brought them through the sea with the shepherd of his flock? So Moses is the shepherd-type figure out in front of Israel, leading them and guiding them in their 40 years of wandering. And, and we see this parallel between Moses and Israel and Jesus now and the crowds around him. And we see this beautiful parallel of a mediator, Moses and Jesus, mediated between God and man. And we see this idea that they were speaking on behalf of God and teaching about God and providing for their needs. In fact, Jesus, by the way, kind of trumps Moses. Look at it in Hebrews 3.3. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses. So we have a greater shepherd. In fact, he's called the what? He's called the good shepherd, the good shepherd who continues to lay down his life for the sheep. He came in to usher not just an exodus from their slavery, but an exodus from the slavery of sin. And he came to teach them. And so uh, we see that Jesus, the good shepherd, does exactly that. He begins to gather the people, and he begins to teach them. Why? Because their spiritual need is always the priority over their physical need. Were they hungry? Yes. Were they poor? Many of them. But Jesus knew the priority. If I just attend to their physical needs, they're going to keep coming to me just for physical issues and not who I really came to be, the savior of their souls. Not the feeder of their stomachs, but the savior of their souls. And so he teaches. And as is customary with Jesus, he teaches a long time. He teaches on and on throughout the day, and, and the people start getting hungry, and pretty soon it's getting late into the day, and we see this in verse 35, that by this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and, and buy themselves something to eat. This sounds like a very noble thing. I mean, the disciples are certainly caring for the multitudes. Hey, Jesus, it's kind of late. A lot of people here were kind of in the middle of nowhere. Send them away. Let them go find something to eat. Sounded noble. I think they had an ulterior motive. Jesus, I'm tired of the crowds. Let's just get them out of here so we can have some R&R and some time with you and maybe get some food together. So they just see the obstacles. Lots of people, remote place. It's getting late in the day. And so they make a very logical suggestion. Send them away. In fact, there are so many people, you can't just send them to one village, Jesus. Send them to the, to the countryside and the surrounding villages because not even one village could support the crowd gathered this day. It's called a large crowd, but we get a number at the end of this passage of 5,000 people. That's just counting the men. So there's chances that we have at least 15,000 people gathered here if we consider wives or women and children, maybe even up to 20,000 people. We're talking about, well, that's like half of the city of Albany, to give you a number perspective, all right? That's how many are pushing around surrounding Jesus, and they're going to take a lot of villages to go feed. Could you imagine if all of Albany came to Red Robin to eat, right? <laughs> that would be crazy. I know sometimes it feels like that. It's like, oh my goodness, all of Albany is here. They had to go to multiple villages. They'll send them away multiple places, but they could only see the obstacles, and so they make this very logical decision. But look at verse 37. But he answered, you give them something to eat. 
And they said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them? So imagine your backyard, you start grilling, and the Lord says to you, I'm going to have you feed half the city of Albany. Can you handle that? What would be your first reaction? There's not enough dogs in the fridge to feed half the city of Albany. Can't do it. There's not enough resource here. And that's exactly what they do. The disciples cannot take Jesus seriously. They're like, are you crazy? I mean, they've seen him do some pretty awesome things, right? But they didn't come with any food because when Jesus commissioned them to go preach in the villages, he told them, don't take a money purse. Don't take food. Only take the bare necessities. They're like empty-handed. They're like, Jesus, what are you serious? We don't have anything here. They're so focused on the obstacles, the, the remote place, and the large crowd, and the limited resources, that they totally lose sight of who they're with. They're with Jesus, right? The miracle worker, but they can't see it that way. And when your problems, friends, are greater than your resources, then you've got to remember who your true source is. And this is what they weren't getting. Jesus, our problem is bigger than our resources. We don't have enough to feed these people. Even if we had half a year's wage, how far would that go among all these people? They didn't remember who their true source was. And they should know. These were Jewish guys who heard stories about the Old Testament where the prophets had miraculously fed a large group of people. They should know about Moses in the wilderness when they had no water and they had no food and Bread came from heaven called manna, and God fed them with quail. In fact, so much quail, the Lord said it would come out of their nostrils. That's how much quail they would be eating. What a great word picture around lunchtime especially, right? How are we going to do this? They forgot who their source was. See, both Jesus and the disciples, they both saw the multitudes. It's just Jesus saw them with a little different set of eyes than the disciples did. The disciple solution was send them away. Go, get out of here, get rid of the problem. That's how we're going to solve the problem. Just, just get rid of it. But that's not what Jesus wanted. In fact, Jesus saw a different solution. He wanted the disciples to see that same solution, but they weren't seeing it. Now, by the way, a half a year's wage would be 200 denarii. That's what some Bibles say. To give you maybe a more contemporary equivalent, that would basically be if uh, I googled the, the average salary in Oregon is 60000 a year. So if you're not making that, tell your boss you're less than average. Um, anyway, so if that's the average salary in the state of Oregon, that means that if we took the number, which was 200 denarii, which would be 200 days of salary, because they got paid a denarii a day, that would mean the equivalent today would be $32,875 to maybe feed this crowd. I mean, you cough when you go to the restaurant and have to pay over 75 bucks, right? I mean, talk about a lot of money. So no wonder they're kind of sweating, but Jesus gave them a command. You give them something to eat. And here's the thing, that with Christ's command comes the ability to achieve it. You ever thought about that? When he calls, he equips. When he gives the command, built in within that command is the ability for that command to be achieved. When we trust him, they didn't see it that way. They were becoming anxious. They were thinking Jesus was out of his mind. And when Moses doubted the Lord's provision in the wilderness, is what the Lord said to him in Numbers eleven twenty three. 23. The Lord answered Moses, is the Lord's arm too short? 
So usually an arm was a sign of strength and provision. And he's saying, Moses, do you think my arm is too short? That I'm weak? Now you will see whether or not what I say will come true for you. And the Lord provided the quail everywhere. That's why we can embrace today's big idea, which basically says, I will not allow my lack to limit my Lord. Well, it goes on in verse 38 of Mark 6. How many loaves do you have, he asked. So he told them to take inventory. Go and see. And when they found out, they said five and two fish. Now, notice that Jesus didn't even address their rant about the money. He didn't even want to entertain that issue. He just said, go take inventory. Go see what you have. Now, this miracle of of feeding the 5,000 is in all four Gospels. There's a reason why, because he's trying to teach us something. But in John's account of this gospel, we see the story a little clearer from a perspective that there was a, a boy there who happened to have lunch. There's been some speculation that perhaps that boy was actually Mark, who had become the writer of this gospel, because uh, we know he was around Jesus, but he was just a young kid uh, during the time of his ministry. Maybe it was his lunch. Maybe his mom was the only one wise enough to say, okay, Mark, you're going to follow Jesus. He talks like forever. Let's send some lunch with you. And who knows why exactly this one boy had lunch, but whoever it was, John's gospel says this in, in uh, John 6, 8, another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. He said, well, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will that go among so many? I want you to notice the emphasis in that verse. When they took inventory, they had a kid's meal. And there wasn't even a toy in the kid's meal. And notice the words, five small barley loaves, two small fish. In other words, Jesus, this is small. Everything here is small. And when they took inventory, all they could see was small. That's what was in their mind. Maybe like what you deal with when you take stock and inventory of your own shortcomings and you think it's just small, I don't have enough. This is a huge crowd, probably 10 to 15,000 people. How can you accomplish this huge task with such a small resource, Lord? You see, acting on the basis of our own human wisdom, the disciples saw the problems, but Jesus saw the potential, right? Where we see lack, Jesus sees abundance. He's just got a different context. Why? Because he was with the Father in Genesis 1 when they spoke, and it happened. So he's got a way different perspective. The first step here is not to measure our resources. I mean, he told them to go check it out, but that's not necessarily what we should do. And Rather, what we should do is we should determine God's will and what God's plan is and then trust him to meet that need, not go to our stockings and say, Jesus, I don't think we can do that. There's not enough here. And what's here, it's small. If I only measure my resource, then I will miss God-sized opportunities every time. And friends, how many times have you and I missed those? And we felt God nudge us in a certain direction. We look and go, this is small. I don't know, I can't do it. And we walk away from divine potential by looking at smallness rather than looking at the grandeur and the vastness of who our provider is. 
Well, understandably, this miracle never entered their minds. They had never thought about Jesus multiplying some kid's lunch. That wasn't on the radar. It wasn't on the script for the day. Oh, and today, Jesus is going to multiply some bread and fish. I mean, they, they didn't see this coming. You know, it's the same way with us. It may never enter our mind what Jesus can do with our willingness and our obedience when he calls to partner with him in his mission, either by giving or serving, whatever capacity. We can never understand it. Why? Because God has resources you know nothing about. Now, what's interesting about this passage is that um, in, as the gospel had been released, especially the gospel of Mark, that was one of the earliest released gospels, there began to be already kind of some arguments around the authenticity of some of these miracles. And so there were skeptics. And so one of the famous skeptics had basically said, uh, who believed basically in a historical Jesus, but he was just a mythical creature. I mean, he didn't really do these things. They're just they're stories. Well, one of their stories was that there happened to be a cave nearby where Jesus was teaching. And that cave was like pre-stocked with bread and fish. And Jesus had kind of holes in the back of his sleeves. And the disciples just kept going to the cave and sliding loaves of bread and fish into Jesus' sleeves, and he kept bringing them out and feeding the multitudes. And that's the kind of junk that was traveling around. Another one I've heard that's been commonly used is, you know, as that boy gave up his lunch, it motivated people to perhaps go ahead and cough up their lunch, and everybody shared and had a, like a potluck, you know, of stuff, and there was even jello with carrots in it. And they had this whole potluck event where everybody got fed because they all of a sudden got generous. Friends, let's not do that. Let's not strip God's power away from this story and lose the vision of our provision. Jesus wasn't about to let that happen. And you know what? God had a way of using what was already there. He's, Jesus is God. I mean, he, he could have just spoke and steak appeared, right? He could have just spoke and there were French fries, cheeseburgers, enough for everybody. But he used what was there. Friends, so many times we look at what we have, maybe it's our income or our abilities, we go, it's so meager. I'm just going to keep this and live off of it. And maybe I can do something with it. You know, what's interesting is he wants to use, he wants for us to use what we already have wisely and so don't foolishly pray for more from God if you don't use what you have wisely. If you're not honoring him with what you have, don't you dare go to him complaining about what you don't have. He's already provided for us. He used what was there. And when it got into his hands, it did something miraculous. Let's look at it. Verse 39, then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. And so they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties and taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves and then he gave them to his disciples who distributed them to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. You know, God loves to demonstrate his power and authority and his sufficiency in our lives. But oftentimes, friends, it happens in ways that feel like problems to us and they invade our, uh, our abilities and it overwhelms our ability. We look at it and go, there's no way, God, you can do this. Why does he do that to us? Because he wants us to look to him and to trust him regardless of our perceived limits. So he goes to the disciples, you feed them. No, 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 no way we can do that, Lord. 
How many times have we done that, right? So Jesus just takes matters into his own hands, takes what was given, and when it's in his hands, that's when the miraculous happened. He has them organized in groups. That's why we know the count that happened that day is accurate. They were in groups that were easy to count. They saw them. They were all numbered. He took that kid's meal into his hands, and he lifted it up, and he looked to his father. He blessed it. He was grateful for what he had. I mean, just put yourself in Jesus' boots for a second, or sandals for a second. Imagine you have five small loaves and two fish, and you're looking out over nearly 20,000 people. And you go, thanks, Father, for this. You know, sometimes we look at what we don't have, and we don't have gratitude. We have angst. We're mad at God. Jesus could have said, really? This is what you give me? Five loaves, okay. I mean, we're God. We'll figure it out. But he doesn't. He has gratitude in his heart. And he speaks to his Father a prayer. Don't you wish that prayer was recorded? You know, he recorded the Lord's Prayer for us. He wanted to teach them. Why not that prayer? I mean, why, why not show us the formula? Because <laughs> I think what we would do as humans is we'd look at that prayer, dissect it, and try to manipulate God to give us what we want. And so the prayer wasn't even the point. The point was he looked to his father with what he had in his hands, and he trusted him. And he said, thank you, and he prayed over it, and he began to break it. And as he broke it in his hands, the miracles began to happen in the hands of Jesus. You know what? When you trust, when you trust in your true source, the desolate place becomes a place of plenty. And maybe you feel like, Kelly, I'm in a desolate place right now. Either physically or spiritually or maybe in your abilities or in your finances. I'm in a desolate place. This is not a time to trust. Oh, yes, it is a time to trust. Because he was in a desolate place, a remote place. It was late, lots of people, small lunch. But he knew the provider. It goes on in verse 42. And they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. Notice the end result. They all ate, and they were all satisfied. I mean, wouldn't it have been enough just if each of those people could have just a small corner of bread and a bone of a fish? I mean, that would have been miraculous anyway, because how would that get around 15,000 people when you started out with such a small loaf, small fish? I mean, that would have been awesome to see. But that's not the way he rolled on this one. There was more than enough, and they ate, and they were full, and they were satisfied, like what you feel like when you go to the buffet, right? You don't go to the buffet and go, oh, look, a kernel of corn. That is awesome. And go back to your table with that. You don't go to Izzy's and get one baked bean. There we go. No, I mean, you go until you're, well, we know what you do. You're no longer satisfied. You're absolutely sick, right? But that's what happens. And they all ate, and they were satisfied. And after they were even satisfied, they had leftovers. Why the extravagance? You ever thought about that? Why didn't he just give them enough? Like when the last person was finally served, it stopped. Because Jesus was having dinner with people he loved. 
and he wanted to make sure they were all cared for. That's what a provider does with enough left over. But you know what I think is interesting about this too? Is extravagant, yes, but it was pretty simple. They started with bread and fish. They ended with bread and fish. And I would have prayed for at least a cheeseburger or a good ribeye. I mean, I would have prayed, God, change this bread into a ribeye. I just saw what you did with Jesus and stuff over there. But can you give me a ribeye? Sometimes isn't it true that we are just not a satisfied people? It was simple. They got bread and they got fish. They all got the same. Extravagant yet practical. Friends, let me just remind you that God loves you. He cares about you. His provision is practical. I know sometimes we ask him for stuff that we really don't need. We want. But he's practical. They were satisfied and the needs were met. Sometimes we need to learn what it means to be satisfied with our provider and have that vision for him. So why is this miracle in all four Gospels? I think it is there to teach the disciples like us today a vision for their provision. That God is our provider. We saw it happen with our own eyes in the hands of Jesus. So who is your provider? I really want you to, to, to really think about this question and drill down on this point because I know most Christians believe that God is their provider. But they don't live like that. And so when they're asked to give, it's automatically, well, let me see what I got in here. And they go to their resource first. Or when they're asked to step out by faith and serve in some kind of capacity of ministry, I just don't think I have that in me. I don't think I have enough time. We go automatically to our resources and we look at it and guess what we're going to do every time? It's not enough. So I guess I'm out of this, Jesus. It's, you know, I don't have enough. I will not allow my lack to limit my Lord. Friends, that's what needs to be written across the top of your checkbook or written on your credit card or across the top of your calendar. I will not allow my lack to limit my Lord. He still responds to faithful people who trust him to be their provider. So I will not allow my lack to limit my Lord and his provision for my life, or to limit my Lord and his plan for my life. I will trust him. That's the vision we all need to have for his provision. Let's pray. Lord, as we look at this miracle that you performed, I knew that it had to blow the disciples away when they came back, because they served as waiters, these multitudes of people, and every time they came back, there was bread and there was fish. There was always enough. And Lord, thank you that that's a great picture that we can have as a vision for our provision. Because too many times, Lord, we look at our own resources and a quick survey says it's not enough. There's not enough here to do what you're calling us to do. And so we allow our lack to limit you. We build these boundaries around what you can do based upon what meager things we have. And I think because of that, Lord, honestly, there are times I think all of us have missed 
a potential because we only saw it as a problem. We missed a great opportunity because all we could see was the obstacle. So challenge us, Lord, as people of faith, we would truly trust that you're our provider. You do that in practical ways. You're not some give me kind of God who's a genie who hands us over jets at our whim. How foolish of us to even think that of you. But thank you that in your practicality, you give us all that we need to serve your mission, to live a life that honors you. You're our provider. So for those that are wrestling with this today because their finances are a mess, or they just don't feel like they are qualified to do anything. Give them a vision for who you are as their provider today. Don't allow their lack to limit you. And I pray they would trust you even today by reprioritizing their life around this concept that you are more than enough So thank you for being our provider. Remind us of this tomorrow. Remind us of this even after the 15th as we approach the end of the month. We look at how we've spent our resources and we know that maybe there's some change we need to bring to honor you. But remind us not to allow our lack to limit our Lord. We thank you for that today in Jesus' name. Thank you.